1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The title of the message today, and it probably will be a two-part message, is on lawsuits and loose living. We're going to take a look at the very first 11 verses today in chapter 6, which predominantly talks about lawsuits, people suing brothers, suing brothers within the church, and what Paul says about that, and, uh, and, and he's going to be addressing that. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us in chapter 5, uh, the Corinthian church has a problem, has many problems. And one of the key problems that we found last week was the fact that they have a sexual immorality problem. There were some things that were going on in the church as we saw a man having a relationship with his father's wife, his stepmother. Some believe, you know, whatever his relationship, but more than likely it was a stepmother that he was having a relationship. And it's not one of those secret sins that were going on in the church that only maybe one other person knew. The problem was is that that sin became, it started to permeate, and the whole church knew that was going on. But the church wasn't dealing with it. Not only from an individual perspective, but the leadership of the church was not dealing with the open sin that was going on in that church. But it never stops there. That sin started permeating out into the community, and even the community knew. Go to that church. They'll accept your sin, and you can continue in your sin. Shoot, there's a man having a relationship with his stepmother. They'll take anybody. But Paul addressed that problem. That was not to happen. That is never to happen. That is not supposed to happen. And any church that allows sin in the camp, it's going to destroy the church. It will destroy the body. And we talked about a cancer. You know the cancer's there. It's sitting right at the tip of your nose. And sometimes you don't know it's the tip of the nose. But then someone looking at your nose or staring at you and going, there's something about your nose that's just not right. But you don't say anything. You guys have that little green thing stuck between your tooth. You know, that spinach. It was a gray spinach. But you will stare at it for the next 10, 15 minutes having a conversation, but you don't have the compassion to say, you've got the biggest, greenest piece of spinach stuck between your teeth. Why is it? Why is it that you can't feel compassion and love for that person? Because you know you would want someone to tell you you had something stuck in your, between your teeth. Where's the compassion? Where's the love? Where's, where's the sense of, 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 of a unity where you can feel vulnerable enough to say, oh, you got something in between your teeth. Or you can just point to it, you know. It, don't, it doesn't take much for us, right? You just stare at someone and you, some people go, what? What, 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 what? Is there something? I mean, you know, you have to just stare and sometimes people, you get all conscious of what goes on. But the problem is, is this church had no problem with the, the community Looking down and say, why would I go to the church? They look like us. We got to say, matter of fact, it, that church is so weird, it's not even condoned by Roman law. You cannot have a relationship with your stepmother. It's against even civil law. It wasn't even against the culture. It was just really weird stuff going on. 
Well, the problem with this church is it did never stopped with that one sin. And we will see today, not only did they have a problem with this, the sexual immorality, the sex affair that was going on in there, but in today in chapter 6, we're going to see that Paul addresses another disorder in the church, dealing with how to handle disputes among the brethren within the church. Because there was division, there was all kinds of junk going on between the relationships within the people of the church. And so they didn't stop with just trying to deal with it biblically. They chose to try to do it in their own manner, in their own ways. And, and they do it the way according to how the, 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 the world does it. And it becomes so happy. Did you see what he did to me? I'm going to sue him. He took advantage of me. I'm going to sue him. He didn't do what I want him to do. I'm going to sue him. It, it just sue happiness is going on. And you think it's just today in our culture. <laughs> you know, you, I think you bumped my car. I'm going to sue you. It, it just, it's, just, it's almost like it's part of the culture today of, of a way to get ahead of someone else. If I sue them, I can get money. If I sue them, I can get something from them. Do you know that's a covetous sin nature that is what dominates that person's mind when they think I'm going to sue for the civil things? And I'm not, as we get in here, Paul's not talking about criminal issues. He's talking about civil issues, disputes among brothers and among sisters within a church. But they had a problem with that. They had a problem with lawsuits along with their loose living. And they were accepting this moral looseness within the church and filing meaningless lawsuits against each other. And it was acceptable within that church. And it permeated because, as we will see, it was widely known within the community that these people were going after each other. Versus handling it according to the ways of the Lord, which we will see. Now, should Christians sue one another in public court? Well, Paul argues that that practice had to end because civil disputes between brothers should not go to non-believer courts. And there's no such thing as a church believer court, which we see as well. They stand up their own little panels in their church. And we're going to have a court system. We're going to judge you. And we're going to have witnesses and all kinds of things. That they do it like they're handling it like it's some civilian court out there. Because people have a tendency to think they're the Supreme Court. And that they have the ability to just draw conclusions without facts. Without looking into and understanding. But try to get ahead or get their way. I'm going to do this to get your way. I'm going to manipulate you to force you to allow me to do what I want to do within the church. So if they don't get their way, they threaten to even sue, as we will see. But the church of Corinth was rapidly losing its testimony in the city. The unsaved clearly saw the church, not only the sins of the flesh that were going on in that church, but they also saw the sins of the spirit or the covetous attitude that we see also noted in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And what was the results? Well, we see three results from this as we study these verses. First, believers present a poor testimony to the lost that is watching. 
You start having become so happy and you start having divisions within the church, people outside the church are going to see it and that is going to lose your testimony of reaching the loss and say, we have a, a better way of life. Choosing to follow Jesus, there is love <laughs> among the people. There is there's a unity among the people. But if there's no unity and there's constantly suing, what testimony do you have? You're acting just like the rest of the world. Why would I come into the church? Why would I follow Jesus if this gets the same results? The second thing that happens is that the congregation does not live up to the full position in Christ. You're living in that halfway state. Yes, I want to be saved, but you're still living cardinally. That's a bad state to live in in your Christian life. So not living up to the full position of what Christ has for you and me. We must change. Let the Spirit of God change us so that we think differently than the rest of the world. And thirdly, the believers suing each other had already lost by doing it. They've already lost their lawsuit. Yes, they may win the lawsuit and get whatever they want to get. But they've lost because they've become disobedient to the word of God. And you just go back to Matthew chapter 5 verses 39 through 42 and you will see by them suing they've already lost because they've already found themselves being disobedient to the word of God. And we don't want to be disobedient to the word of God. We want immediate obedience to the word of God. Because when you have immediate obedience there is blessing that comes from the Lord because of that. Not disobedience. I mean, any ask any child, anyone who a child who's immediate obedience to their parents, there's typically reward. There's some cookies or brownies coming their way somewhere from mama. Because their behavior and their attitude is in line with what is good, what is just, what is right, what's praiseworthy. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, we see Paul starts off by saying, Dare any of you? How often do you see that in the scripture? Dare any of you? How can you, any of you, even think about doing what you're about to do or have been doing? It says, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? You two brothers, you cannot work through this and if you can't work through this, you telling me you can't go to other saints, your other brothers, to come in and, uh, and mediate and arbitrate and help you work through the dispute that is going on? You're looking to come against each other by suing? You'd rather take it in front of the unrighteous, the unsaved, the unbelievers of this world? Before taking it to the church? If, if you can't find a couple of brothers or sisters to help you work this through, you could have come to the church leadership. Why did you wait until it comes to a point where you're ready to go to the non-believers and to the secular world to sue versus coming to the church leadership to help them arbitrate and to facilitate this conversation? Because scripturally, that's what you're supposed to do for civil disobedience or di disputes. Not criminal. That's not what we're talking about. 
Paul simply can't believe these Corinthian Christians are doing what they're doing. That they would go to a local courts. They would do it the world's way to try to get their point across. To try to, to make it happen the way they want it to be happened. They were really feeling offended by all what's going on here. So they're just going to go to this legal system to battle out with his brother. But it's amazing to Paul. Why would you take a civil disobedience that needs to be solved wisely, why would you go to an unsaved person to solve this between two brothers? These are unjust lawyers or, 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 or judges. Why would you take it to their system and let the system, the world system, determine and, and, and take you down a path you're probably going to completely regret? But instead, coming to, to God to help you solve it. Why? Because sin will do that to you. Sin will cause you to think emotionally and respond emotionally. Sin will cause you to react and to look toward the things of the flesh and the things of the world to solve the problem. That's what sin does. It, sin will always drive you away from God's answer, the word of God, and away from godly people. Sin will always take you away from the things of God. If you always ask the question, oh, I don't know if this is of God or not. Should this, I, how, do, how do we know if this is of God or not? Does it drive you to God? Does it drive you to the word of God? Does it drive you to godly people for wisdom? Does it seek counsel? No. Well, then it's not of God. It's pretty simple. Where's it driving you? Oh, I'm going to talk to my brothers. You know, what else does guys do? They go to their ungodly co-workers. Oh, let me give you, I'm going to ask you your opinion. You think, and you get them all spun up. What do you, how do you think they're going to respond? Yeah, I think you should sue the man. Well, he's a brother. He's in the church. I've got to see him every Sunday. It's going to be up. Now you're rationalizing. And, of course, the world's going to tell you, the person there on, on the job is going to tell you to sue him. Do you know how much my friend got $100,000 for that same thing? And it gets you spun up looking for the things of what you're going to gain out of it. And you think, as we will see, as Paul will address, you find it more important to gain from him versus gaining a brother back. There's no equal value there. Gaining a brother back is more important than material wealth. Or saving your, your pride or your stature or your name. See, it's always off when you respond to sin in an ungodly way. Now, we'll see here in chapter in verse 2, he says, um, do you not know? And we're going to see this six times in this chapter. Now, I love this because I think Paul is basically saying to these people who think they're wiser, if you remember in the previous chapters, they thought they were wiser. They thought they would already arrive. They've had all this 
philosophy and all these other things. They, th they think they've already arrived and they're doing everything they're supposed to do. But he says, do you not, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning these things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. <laughs> he calls it right out. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? Not one. But brother goes to the law against brother and that before unbelievers. unbelievers. So he's sitting here and he's looking and he's going, wait a minute. Think about this in a very simple, simple way. You, you can take the most simplest of guys in your church who love the Lord, who has the word of God at his fingertips. He has to have the power of the Holy Spirit with him to be able to come to him and he could help you because he's got God on his side to give you godly wisdom to help you to solve this dispute between two brothers. But you don't see it. You don't see it. Instead, you decide to go to an unbeliever, to outside and outside the church to solve this problem? Isn't there one, at least one wise man among you that can help you versus going out into the world? Do you not know how foolish that sounds, people? Do you not know? That's part of the challenge, isn't it not? That many people do not know the word of God. They don't know what God says about that subject or how to handle a dispute. Oh, they think they know. Oh, they'll want to do it their way because they, they've already contemplated it in their mind and their stage and steps of how they're going to get their result. And they'll do whatever they can do. If that means... Suing my brother? So be it. It's his problem, not mine. See, but they never stop and said, what is my attitude about my brother? It's okay to sue him and take something from him and ruin his life or cause a problem within the church and lose our testimony? I, how quickly people forget about that because they are so self-focused on that situation. Versus looking at others and how it's going to impact others. But Paul calls it out very clearly. I say this to your shame. How, how can you go out there and sue another? See, the idea of Christians judging another is you can do that within within the body you can certainly look and see what the fruit and see what goes on and you can see if it's not in line with the word of God and you can see that the things are not being handled they've they somehow kind of took advantage of you brother I can take care of your car no problem take bring it to bring it to my shop 
oh, you'll do that for me, brother? I, I'm really tight on, on cash. Can, can, you, can you, you can do that for me? Sure. They take care of the car, and then the brother never pays them. Maybe, maybe the opposite. Maybe they say, oh, I'll take care of you, and you pay them, the brother money to take care of your car, but then he ruins your car. He didn't do it right. Instead of solving it and, and, and solidifying and working that through and finding a way to help make that right, I'm going to sue him for ruining my car. I'm going to sue him for not paying me because I worked on his car. Whatever the situation and the and viewpoint, both of them could be suing, couldn't they? But is that how we're supposed to handle it? No. You should be able to handle that within the church. Work it through. Because we're going to be able to judge angels in the end times. God is going to put you in a position to actually even judge angels. Be in positions of authority. Overseeing when the second coming, we come back with Jesus and we're sitting there in the new, the, the, the new t- uh, millennium. We're going to be judging angels. And all the way through an eternity. I mean, this is amazing, the fact that this is what God has put us in a position of, uh, of, uh, of the abilities to do that in the future. Why are you not doing it now, today? Because Christians are being prepared right now for such glorious destiny. God is preparing and working through to make sure that we are ready for the future. But instead, we're not trusting and relying upon his truth and and his wisdom and guidance in these things. Instead, they're turning around and they're using the the secular judges to decide the disputes among Christians. And that's what happens sometimes when, when Christians start relying upon and leaning upon their own understanding. Because God warns us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he should direct your paths. Because what happens, even as a brother, as a sister, you start getting into your head and wanting what you want. What we find is like these Corinthian Christians, they were so proud of their wisdom that we saw back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. They were so proud of their wisdom. They're so proud of what they knew and they already knew and they could quote this and quote that and whatever it may be that puffed them up. But when it came to looking at what God says about handling these things, they quickly turned to the world. And that should not happen. See, Paul shows he was not against all legal action. Even in Acts 22, verse 25, and Acts 25, verses 10, 11, he himself had to go and appeal to Rome courts for his rights. So he's not saying courts are all bad. But there's sometimes there is a right thing to do. In this case, he had to because of the, the, the world was coming against him, right? Rome was coming against him. He had to use his appeal rights as a Roman citizen to be able to counteract that. There's nothing wrong with that. But he was dealing with the government. He wasn't dealing with a brother. But Paul knew it was wrong when a brother goes to the law against a brother. See, Paul was concerned with the harmful effects of such legal disputes. How that could have 
the effect on the gospel that was trying to be shared in the good news and the gospel throughout Corinth. And because the community knew that they were striving and they were fighting and they were disputing, they were having lawsuits between each other, you lose the ability to share the gospel within your community. You lose your testimony. You lose the power to be able to share to those who are lost, who are fed up with the law system and the worldly system that's out there that they're being battled against. They should be a different place, a refuge here in the church. Because the lawsuits certainly did not glorify God. And that's why Paul says you must settle these important issues, these civil disputes among themselves according to God's principles. And this can be done through the church. This can be done through a Christian arbitration. This can be done today just like it could be done back in Paul's day. And Paul is also not saying that Christians should have their own court system to handle criminal law. In Romans 13, 3, 3 and 4, Paul says that it is, it is appropriate for the state to handle criminal cases. Christians should, however, be able to handle civil cases among themselves. Clear as can be in the scripture. Now, Paul continues here in verse 7. He says, now, therefore, I just, just to let you guys know, suing each other is wrong. It's against the word of God. Don't, don't do it. So now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? See, the Corinthians were just like the modern Americans today. Addicted to their rights. I'm going to have my rights be known. I have rights, you know. But clinging to their rights so fiercely, so strongly, so proudly causes utter Failure to take place within the Christian church when it happens between two brothers. Just by going to court against your brother, you have already lost. You've probably lost a brother. You've probably lost fellowship. You've probably lost your witness. You've probably lost and caused division within your even your own family. Now, Paul is pointing out how self-defeating they were with these lawsuits. He's trying to let them know, let me tell you the consequences. Let me give you a picture of the end result of why you're going to be pursuing this lawsuit. Let me give you a picture of what's going to happen. You're going to fail. And it's not just partial failure. It's utter failure, he says here in verse 7. Because it's going to damage the church witness. It's going to damage the church reputation. It's going to damage. You're not going to win. It's just going to be utter failure to you. And you're going to regret that you did it. It would be better here, Paul says, to be accept the wrong. It would be better to let yourselves be cheated than to defend your rights at the expense of God's glory and the higher good of his kingdom. 
Oh, brother, can I borrow something from you? I just want to use it. I just need it to do something. If you're not able to freely give them something you're loaning to them, then don't give it. Because if, you, if that brother or that sister does not return it, what are you going to do? You're going to sue them to get it back? No, you better be ready to say, it's wrong, I'm going to go to that brother, I'm going to address it with brother. When are you going to return that? You said you're borrowing it, it's only going to be for a week, and now it's been a month, you know. You're going. Well, I, you know, I don't know, I, aren't you freely giving, brother? I mean, I'm, I'm in need here. You have so much, I want, you have extra, I want it. We, we agreed it was a borrowing situation, not a taking situation here. Oh, brother, when a brother has two tunics, aren't you supposed to give one of those tunics? You, I saw in your garage, you had three of those things. See the covetousness of the sin of that brother wanting what you have? And so before you borrow, are you willing to let that go if for some reason there's a strife and that brother does not give it back? Are you willing to accept the wrong? Are you willing to be cheated from that piece of, of, of item? And if you're not, you should not be offering. Because it will cause division and it never stops between the two of you. It will permeate within the church. Oh, I have experienced it. Over the slightest immaterial thing that I thought was no big deal. And it was a covetous thing for that person. Unbelievable. But I knew. I freely, I had freely given it. God, you'll replace it. You'll take care of it. I'd rather try to restore and keep that relationship than to try to get my rights and get it back. So be very careful. Just know that if you're willing to freely give, there's no strings attached, and you make sure it's clear right up front if it's a borrow or it's a give situation. And then you don't look back because it's more important for the sake of God's glory and the kingdom than for your rights and for purposes. It's all going to burn anyway. It's all going to burn anyway. But that's what God's called us to do. To settle these things within the church. Not taking it outside. So he continues in verse 8. He says, no. You yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul takes it up a notch here to get the point across to the people. 
says, this is not some small thing here I'm addressing to you. Having lawsuits. This is not, this is not something you, well, we'll agree to disagree. You, know, you, know, you, have, you ever have that statement from people? We'll agree to disagree, Corey. What that tells me says, you don't believe in the word of God of what was just shared with you. And you're going to still do it anyway. Paul takes it up a notch and he says, I want to let you know where this sin of lawsuits compares to the list of others. It's equal to the fornicator. Yes, it's equal to the adulterer. Yes, you could probably see it's equal to the drunkard or the covetous or the thief or the revelers or extortioners. But come on. Is it equal to a homosexual and a sodomite? Come on. Are they really the same equal? Yes. That's how strong Paul is saying to them. This is very serious. You're not to do this. And he says, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. Don't act like you somehow you're holier than others. You're some mightier than others. You've got your all act together 100%. And because you think you're self-righteous, which we know these people thought they were because they thought they were so wise, they thought they were in a position where they could sue someone else and it won't be a big deal. But in God's eyes, it's a big deal, people. It's a big deal. These are some... These are some wicked sins. And Eva says, and such were, key word, past tense, were some of you. How could you think about doing this to your brother when you should reflect back on the fact that look at where you came from. Look at the sin that dominated your life. Don't you have grace and mercy upon a brother? Can you come back and understand where you have been saved from? And now you seem to be saved. Now you, you, you have this judgment upon another without any mercy or grace. Where's the way of grace here? You've been washed. Your sins have been washed away. It's been, they've been dealt with. They've been hammered away. They've just been washed away. You've been cleaned by, from the sin of the mercy of God, Titus 3.5. You can have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22.16. All you have to do is call out his name upon it. And he'll wash your sins away. We are washed by the work of Jesus on the cross for us, Revelation 1.5. And we're washed by the word of God, Ephesians 5.26. We're washed. We're clean. We're as white as snow. Now I promise that would be the last time we'll sing the song until next winter. No, just kidding. Every time it snows, it reminds me, Lord, you've washed me. You've cleansed me by your grace and by your mercy. But he also says we were sanctified. They were sanctified. There was a, 
changed. They were set apart, away from the world, unto God by the work of Jesus Christ and the Christ, Hebrews 10.10. They were set and sanctified, set apart, special for God, for the purpose of God. And he was said that because by through the God's word, he revealed that to us, John 17.19. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, that we are sanctified, Acts 26.18. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and touches the heart of that man and that woman. And all they have to do is respond. And all they have to do is cry out and say, please forgive me. I want to follow you. I desire for the things of God. You are turning and going toward him and looking back. And he will sanctify you by the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 16. You were sanctified, set apart for God this world not for your flesh not for yourself but he also said you were justified declared your life was declared by God being just you're just before the court of God not not uh, not just oh I'm not guilty no, no, that's not what it means. When he says just is just as if you never sinned before. You are justified. They look at your life, God looks at your life, and he doesn't see the sin. It's not like you and I go look in the past and go, oh, yeah, he was a drunkard one time, and you keep referring to him as a drunkard. Or you keep referring to yourself as a drunkard. Oh, I was a, a, a fornicator. Oh, he was a fornicator. He was a homosexual. I'm a homosexual. No, it, God washed you. He sanctified you and he justified you like you have never been with that title before. So why do you and I live moving forward in this life as a Christian even thinking that we were still what we were? When God says in his word that we're not. Who's right? God's always right and we are wrong. Do you, right? We, we, less than two weeks ago, right? Very simple. We, we haven't lost that one, right? Can you live your life as a Christian? Daily walk. Reminding yourself of what God says and sees how he sees you. That you are sinless. Doesn't mean that's a position that we're in. He's placed us in a position. Yes, practically, we're still dirty, rotten sinners. We still have a lot of things that God's still working on in our lives. But we don't practice those things as we will see next week. There's a difference between struggling with them, possible falling to them, but not practicing them. There's a difference, and we'll see that next week in the scripture. But not only are you washed, given a new identity, clean clothes, but you're sanctified, set apart for his purpose. So as we, as we see this, Paul is saying, no disputes among the brothers. Sisters, you should not be having these disputes. And to think about taking them to court and using ungodly system to get your way is 
that is sin. That's a wicked sin, and it compares to the list I just gave you. Don't do it. Allow God to work within the church to help you through those disputes. And let God help you to let go for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. But there is a church leadership for you to they can come to to get counsel and to arbitrate these things. Don't do it man's way. Don't do it the worldly way. Do it God's way. Because you're justified. We're set apart. You're washed. To be a bright light and salt into this wicked world that we live in. We have to reach the lost because they are dying in their sins. And they, you have the good news to share them with them. Don't let us lose our testimony within the body of Christ. That is not what he has for you and I. Amen?